Hi, and welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation focused on youth mental health. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to let you all know that all content that is found in our podcast is created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition, and never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard in this podcast. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get started. Hello, my name is Divya, and welcome to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving. Recent research from Newport Academy states that teen depression has actually risen 63% since 2013. Depression can have horrible effects on kids, and people have reported feeling like they're living two lives. There's that life that everyone else sees and the life that only you see. And in the life that everyone else sees, you're happy, you're smart, you're pretty. Um, But in the life that only you see, you're sad. Teens and adults struggle with this feeling every day, and Kevin Briel puts the definition of depression into very articulate and real words in his TED Talk, Confession of a Depressed Comic. Depression is not just being sad when something in your life goes wrong, that's natural. Real depression is being sad when everything in your life is going right. So without further ado, my co-hosts Sonia and I will be focusing on depression and how to cope with it. Let's begin. Today's interviewee is Shivani. She will share with us how she was able to cope with this mental health condition that has taken over the lives of so many teenagers today. Before we go into that, however, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone tuning in. My name is Shivani, um, and I use she, her pronouns. I identify as a mentally ill woman of color with different mental health lived experiences, including panic attacks, anxiety, depression, self-harm, and suicidal ideation. I'm a recent graduate from Brown University where I studied cognitive science with the focus on um, childhood trauma and minority mental health. And I'm now back in Providence working alongside formerly incarcerated communities on mental health care access within and outside of prisons. Wow, that's really cool. I really like how you're kind of taking your experiences and using it to help others, which is really nice. And so many people essentially know um, depression by the textbook definition. However, we know that it can really be so much more than just a persistent feeling of sadness for people who experience it. So to begin with, since this question, really the answer to it varies from person to person, I wanted to just ask you, what does depression really mean to you? Yeah, I think this is a great and also loaded question because there is no one uniform experience for any mental illnesses. And it's important that people listening recognize that I'm really only able to speak about what I've dealt with. Um, So for me, depression looks like a range of things. Um, The way I experience it is through self-isolation, not really remembering to eat, not being able to do minimal tasks like schoolwork, um, taking care of plants, things like that, just like whatever's on my to-do list, not really being able to do them. Um, I do also experience depressive episodes that get really intense, um, and that usually means that I can be shut up in my room for weeks at a time. I won't really talk to people. Um, My depression also, um, I experience it in intersection with like my other mental illnesses. So I'll also experience panic attacks and anxiety during that time. Um, and I think 
what you had said about the speaker from the TEDx talk um, resonates because for me, when I'm in those depressive episodes, I have overwhelming feelings of sadness and like everything in my life is going wrong and things are really bad and I'm unable to see um, whatever joy there really is in my life. That is definitely so much more complicated than someone may think. And unfortunately, depression is something that's really hard to recognize at first, whether it just be the denial of having it or just confusion in general on why you're feeling this way. So before we go into the effects of depression, how did you recognize that you suffered from it in the first place? So in middle school, I began to self-harm for many different reasons. And I think I deep down always knew that it wasn't right or um, that I wasn't being good to myself, that I was hurting myself in that way. But I also knew that I couldn't really stop myself from doing it. Um, and I feel like that was the beginning of me trying to figure out what was going on with myself. I really had to hide the fact that I was self-harming and the feelings I was experiencing while I was doing that from so many people in my life. So it was a really lonely time for me. And once my symptoms kind of wrap, ramped up to me ideating about suicide, that's when I really knew like, okay, something is going on here. Like, this is not um, like good for me to be thinking about life this way. Um, and I had, you know, read about depression. I've had friends who also um, live with depression. So I started to be able to piece together that like maybe this was an experience that I was also having. Yeah, I'm definitely glad that you were able to eventually recognize it. And so I feel like, you know, kind of the first step to getting on a better road is you know, definitely recognizing and furthering accepting that further accepting that there is actually a problem. So that kind of segues into our next question, which is what did you exactly do once you, you know, kind of figured out that you faced depression? At the beginning, I would say nothing really, if I'm being honest. Uh, it took me a long time to actually seek help because I have a really distrustful relationship with healthcare providers. My former pediatrician was actually the one who outed my self-harm to my mom, which led to a really negative home life at the time, given the pervasiveness of cultural stigmas and shame around mental illness in South Asian communities. Uh, so I didn't feel comfortable seeking therapy, nor did I think my parents would be comfortable with it. So for me, what really helped um, in high school, which was kind of like the peak of me understanding what was going on with my emotional health was having friends who could recognize when things were going south with me and kind of would step up and offer all the support they could, whether that was, you know, sitting on FaceTime for hours at a time with me or bringing me food during classes. It was really that community care that helped me um, hang on to life. And it was also that community care in college through a mental health nonprofit I'm part of called Project Let's that kept me going. Um, I feel like I have always really struggled with reaching out for support in large part due to internalized ableism and shame around being mentally ill because that's kind of the message you get from society about what it means to have mental illness and so i was really fortunate to have people in my life who were just like no like we don't need you to tell us when you need support we're just going to care for you before you even ask for it um and that model of really of care really helped me i'm really really glad that you had that support system you know it's super important to just have the those people that really care about you. And I think, you know, for everyone listening, that is definitely something, it's an option that you can have. And so after recognizing that you suffered, 
um, from like this mental health disorder and kind of getting that support system. What did you kind of do next? Like what was your next step? Yeah, so I think it's interesting because people have very different relationships to their mental illnesses, right? You will often hear people talk about wanting or people talking about recovering from their mental illnesses or wanting a cure um, or, or overcoming it. And that's completely uh, valid because everyone, you know, can dictate for themselves how they feel about their mental illnesses. Um, for me, kind of my next step was joining other communities of mentally ill people and learning what it means to be mentally ill, right? In a community that unconditionally supports and loves me um, as a mentally ill person. And so throughout college, I've learned a lot about disability justice and this idea that, you know, perhaps mental illnesses aren't abnormal as they've been labeled, but are just symptoms that are emotional responses to environmental, physical, and or emotional change. Um, so I've kind of come to understand my mental illnesses is not something that needs to be overcome per se, but rather the symptoms are indicators that something in my environment is harming me and something needs to change. And so I think what I'm really trying to focus on lately is figuring out what causes some of my worst symptoms, um, like what situational experiences are triggering them and how can I recognize those experiences. And if it's a situation I can control, trying to figure out, you know, how can I better set boundaries? How can I initiate conversations with people to get the care that I need? Um, and, you know, I can't always control everything. So on the other side is learning how to cope with those situations so that my symptoms don't deteriorate into some really bad depressive spirals. So that's kind of how I'm approaching um, my coexistence with mental illness, because I think I will always be mentally ill. As you know and mentioned, there's a lot of stigma around mental health disorders, especially in the Silicon Valley, where we're often just told that we're sad and it's just a phase and it'll go away. So I know many people who have some kind of mental health issue but are unable to get the help that they need because their parents or the people they're around just don't believe in it. So my question for you is, what would you say to someone who is suffering with this issue to tell their parents or peers and get the help that they need? Yeah, I definitely relate to that experience of having parents who didn't really understand what I was coming from. Luckily, we've come a long way, but in the beginning, being at home and being mentally ill was just a very painful experience for me. So to anyone out there who's listening and who's having that experience, like I feel you, that was my experience. Um, and it is incredibly hard because you want your parents who are supposed to uncond unconditionally love you to support you through um, your experiences with mental illness. So I think the first thing I would really tell someone, which was a lesson that was hard for me to learn, was that your healing does not need to be contingent on your parents' acceptance um, or a professional knowing. Um, mine, my healing process is certainly not contingent on what my parents think, which was a really hard process, but once I was able to kind of seek out specific mentally ill communities who gave me that unconditional care. Um, that's when I realized that like I could embark on a healing process without needing my family's um, like acceptance of me as a mentally ill person, if that makes sense. So that's the first thing to know is that if it is not safe or comfortable for you to talk to a parent 
or seek professional help, you really don't need to put yourself in that position, especially for people of color. Um, parents can exacerbate the pain we experience because of intergenerational stigma and trauma. So under no circumstance should you feel like the only way you're going to get support is through your parents. We're currently in a day and age where there are literally so many options for receiving care um, that don't go through like the the traditional models that often require, you know, going to a therapist's office, um, you have to pay for it, all those things. There are free apps, there are text lines, there are websites, there are online support groups. Many of these resources are tailored to specific identity groups too, and they're so readily available to people who are seeking community. Um, so I think that's really important to know, right, of like the mental, what mental health care means can be so dependent on who you are and that there are a lot of options out there for someone who is young and who would otherwise think that they need to go through their family um, to otherwise receive care. And then if you are someone who feels ready to talk to a parent and you feel as though that's like the right option for you um, or even like your friends, right, I would say just keep in mind and remember that you know yourself the best. Um, one of the most ableist aspects of our society, which um, angers me to no end, is that people genuinely believe that mentally ill individuals are unable to make decisions for themselves or that they need someone else to convey what their internal experiences are. And I completely reject that. So to anyone who is like starting this process of being vulnerable and sharing your experiences with other people, which can be so difficult, but it can also be very affirming. Just remember that you know how you feel. You might not have the language to talk about it yet, but you have been experiencing your mental illnesses um, every day and you were the expert on yourself. So really hold that autonomy close to your heart um, whenever you choose, whenever you feel comfortable um, speaking about what you're going through. Yeah, so that was that was really insightful. And then like, so I'm just gonna ask you to like impromptu questions that I just like, kind of came up with. And it's really like kind of adding on to your answer that you just gave really, what like, how was your real experience with these resources? I know you mentioned that you didn't really go to the parent help or the professional side, but you did mention like communities and friends. So really, what was your experience with these resources? And kind of you know, what specific resources did you go to? Because maybe other people in the audience like you maybe can't talk to their parents for the reason that reasons that you mentioned. So I was just wondering if you could elaborate more on the experience with the resources and what exactly they were. Sure. So first I so I was really curious about like labels when it comes to mental illness. I think that there's an argument to be made that labels are harmful, but I know that um, a lot of young people, especially when they first are understanding that they have um, maybe negative mental health experiences, labels can be kind of affirming to kind of, you know, figure out what's going on and be like, okay, I'm not imagining these things, like this is actually happening to me. So, and this is very basic, but like I would just Google different mental illnesses. I would Google my symptoms, what I was experiencing, and kind of just understand like, what does this actually mean for me? Um, are there other people out there who are experiencing these things? Because it's a very isolating experience, especially if you're in a community that, and by community, I mean, for me, it was my cultural community who didn't necessarily support or understand what I was going through. I didn't think anyone else around me 
was really going through it either, right? Until I ended up talking to my friends about it. So as soon as you Google these things, you are going to come across blog posts. You're going to come across online um, support groups with just like this large community of people out there in the whole world who are all experiencing different mental health um, conditions. And I think that was really validating. Um, I also, you know, when I talk about like community care for me, that was a couple of my best friends from high school um, who very much um, were just kind of like, we can tell when you are not your happy selves. So like, just tell us what's going on. They kind of pushed me into that conversation in a very compassionate way. And I needed that push because no one had encouraged me beforehand to talk about it. In fact, it was the opposite, right? People encouraged me to not talk about my mental health experiences because of the shame associated. So to have friends who were just like, we noticed that today you were acting such and such, like what's going on? Um, and then later on after telling them, being like just showing up at my house and like providing support, right? Rather than waiting for me to ask for it. That was just so new to me. Like I had never experienced that kind of care before. Um, so that's kind of also one of the resources. I think also um, I utilized my guidance counselors in high school. Um, I absolutely adored her. And I think that, you know, if you do have good guidance counselors in your school, um, I believe unless you are harming yourself, like they are not allowed to like talk about your experiences, right? Like patient confidentiality. And so that's another way to get professional help without having to do um, a different care provider where like your parent might drop you off, right? Because you're going to school every day and that's another resource. I think more and more now in the Silicon Valley, especially, um, especially after the suicide cluster that happened when I was a sophomore, um, more high schools specifically are trying to develop like social emotional learning programs um, so that they give space for students to share their experiences. And I feel like that would have also really helped me. So if you have those spaces, go to them. And if you don't have them, like create them, you know, that's why I personally have been so vocal about my experiences. It's because when I was younger around me, I didn't see any basic folks talking about it. And I was like, well, if I can be that person so that someone else is like, oh, look, like Shivani is very severely mentally ill and she's like not ashamed of it. Um, that is so supportive. Right. So that's also something I encourage. Yeah, I, I really like that idea and all that you said about that. So that's that's really cool. And um, so kind of adding on to that, I just really wanted to emphasize, especially if, you know, you're a listener and you may be going through this, the resources that Shivani did mention, there's online stuff, there's your friends, like there's guidance counselors, there's a lot of resources that you can try and go to if one of them may not be working. There's always another one. So I just really wanted to emphasize that. So, you know, kind of what we've kind of learned so far is coping with depression, you know, it may sound somewhat easy in the beginning, but it's definitely harder than one may think. So it's really fortunate that you, Shivani, were really able to find some way to help yourself and, you know, just talk to your friends and other guidance counselors and stuff. So these mechanisms that you mentioned were definitely really helpful. And I hope that, you know, anyone going through similar things in the listening audience or really anywhere, will have learned at least one thing that they can do to talk to someone, talk, get a resource to help them with what they're experiencing. So now, as said, like initially in the start, depression rates are really increasing every single day. 
So kind of as our final question to wrap this whole podcast up, uh, Shivani, we just wanted to ask you, since you know, you've been through this experience, what is some advice that you would give to someone suffering from something similar? Yeah. Um, for me, this is a really tough question because I think that it's important that I'm very clear that my experiences have to be understood through the lens of privilege, um, namely like financial privilege, uh, being someone who was raised in the Bay Area. Um, I have not had to worry about a lot of things that would absolutely exacerbate my mental illness, such as poverty, homelessness, food, and or economic insecurity. And I also am South Asian. I'm Indian American. And being Indian American is a very different experience than being black or brown in the United States. And there is, um, like, luckily, there's a lot more conversation lately about how racism and ableism, which is the discrimination and oppression of um, disabled communities, uh, those two forms of oppression absolutely intersect in ways that are very harmful for um, specifically black and brown mentally ill people of color. So the only like general piece of advice I can give to someone with mental illness like is is really just to remember that you are so worthy of a life that is full of joy and love and stability. Like I fully believe in that for you, for every single person who lives on this planet, like I believe that you are worthy of that, even if I don't know you. And if there is an accessible path for you to grab onto that process of healing, do it because chances are there's a voice inside of you constantly or maybe not constantly that's telling you that you don't deserve that kind of healing and that kind of life that you see happening around you, but you 100% absolutely do. So grab onto that because you deserve it and you're worth it. Um, and then like otherwise, the only advice I really have is not necessarily for the mentally ill community, but for like those around us. Because I imagine that people who are listening are may also have friends or family members who um, are dealing with mental illnesses and they're looking for ways to support. And so as I've like emphasized numerous times throughout this conversation is that community care saved my life. Um, it was not self-care. It was not what the wellness industry likes to push, you know, of like bubble baths and like um, put on a face mask, whatever that is. No, like it was my friends who were willing and ready to intervene and care for me without me asking for it. And I think, you know, Silicon Valley, especially, and also just in the United States, we were really raised um, and grew up in a culture of individualism, right? Where it was like every man for himself, you really are going to take care of yourself, um, pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality, but that's not radical care. Like um, interdependence is radical care. And so I would say to our communities around us, if you do not have mental illness, but you know someone who does, and you most likely do because so many of us are mentally ill, um, step in to be that person who's going to care for someone else, you know, and recognize that, like, there are basic human rights that if you don't have those rights, you are not going to be able to heal. And so, like, shout out to the federal government. If I could give you a piece of advice, it's to give everyone those basic human rights, right? Like, that's my biggest advice is that healing cannot come if you don't have food, if you don't have water, if you don't have housing, if you don't have so many resources and if you don't have love, right? So like 
we as a community need to recognize and by community i really mean everyone who exists like we need to realize that we do have a responsibility to uplift one another and meet those basic needs so that people who do have mental illnesses are able to start the process of healing which can be a very hard thing to do without that support i completely agree with that answer i mean like as as a person that has suffered with anxiety I definitely feel like it was super hard for me to like even start talking about it, but it was those friends that would just check in on me and be like, hey, are you doing good? We haven't talked in a while. Like that is something that really helped me so much. So thank you so much for sharing these like tips and tricks that you have and you've collected over these years. And I'm sure that our audience found these helpful. Yeah, and I just want to say like completely preach to your last answer. It was incredibly like, you know, all the points that you covered were so, you know, important, especially in society today. And I loved how you kind of focused your main theme on community. And really, I think that all listeners should definitely reach out to people if they're struggling, whether it be their family or whether it be like their friends or guidance counselors or anyone else. And really just remember that although depression may seem scary or any other mental illness may seem like scary or like it has like this weird stigma around it. But and it may give you a feeling of loneliness, it just, you aren't alone. And I think that there are so many fabulous resources out there, even if your parents may or may not be one of them. And I highly encourage listeners to reach out to someone or find some resource if you're feeling in some sort of a similar way. And I really think that you should, like Shivani said, get the help you deserve because you deserve to have a life. And Thank you so much for listening and good luck to everyone. So we're Sonia and Devia, and this is Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, and see you guys next week. You are listening to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation. As part of our youth series, we will be releasing new episodes every weekend, so make sure to continue to check those out. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and thank you so much for listening.